Um, it's really lovely to see you this morning. Great to be together. And great to be... Uh, actually, we're finishing today, in one sense, our, our, um, our series in Genesis. We're just going through chapters 1 to 3. Next week, we'll start a topical series looking at marriage, and then homosexuality, and then transgender. Just picking up on some of the big themes that we've seen in Genesis but haven't really uh, touched upon in any great detail. So that will hopefully be helpful for us as a church as we um, consider that issue that is so... uh, those issues that are uh, prevalent in our society and and relevant for all of us, um, whether we're married or not. Um, So that's kind of where we're going. But today, it'd be helpful to have Genesis chapter 3 open in front of you. We'll be looking at those verses, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. And uh, there's also a handout on your tables if you want to kind of follow along. There's some questions that will hopefully kind of guide our question time afterwards. But just to say, in that discussion time, you don't have to stick to those. Uh, Please do feel free to write down on the back anything that springs to mind, any thoughts, comments, questions you want to ask as we uh, work through this. Let me pray, and then we'll begin. Father, we do thank you so much that you have revealed yourself as a great God in your creation, that as we look around, uh, we do indeed see how great you are. And Father, we also uh, praise you that you've revealed yourself uh, to us in your word. And you tell us, Father, that your word is sweeter than honey, Uh, It's more pure and precious than gold. And Father, we do pray now that as we come to it, you would give us hearts that believe that and trust it. And that we would uh, seek to know you more through your word. Uh, Seek to feed upon your word uh, as if it was uh, honey. We, We do pray that you would do us good this morning, Father. And so we ask uh, that as uh, I speak, that the words of my mouth would be pleasing on your, in your sight and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight too. And Father, we pray this for your glory. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, very simply, it's uh, all about the American involvement of the Vietnamese War that kind of happened throughout the 50s, 60s, into the 70s. And there's one particular scene where uh, Robin Williams, who is um, an actor who who plays a radio DJ, and he starts his kind of morning show, and he says something like this. He says, good morning, Vietnam, another delightful day in vacation land. Here's a song for you to get you out of bed this morning. And then he plays What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. Now, I don't know if you, if you know it, um, but you hear, these, you hear this song play out with, with these words. It says, I, I see trees of green, red roses too, I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and, and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colours of the rainbow so pretty in the sky are also on the faces of people going by. 
I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies crying. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And as you hear these words, you do see a wonderful world on the screen. You see green trees, and you see blue skies, and you see people smiling, and you do see babies crying. But at the same time, as you hear these lovely words to this happy, soothing tune, you also see villages being blown up. And you see children being shot dead. And you see faces full of fear as people uh, run for their lives. And you see war and conflict and pain and tears and death. All as you hear Louis Armstrong singing, What a Wonderful World. Now, if you, if you Googled that, you, you can watch just that scene. I, I warn you, it's a deeply moving scene. And what it does is it, is it captures the mixed-up world that we live in, doesn't it? So there is so much that, that really is wonderful about this world. There is, there is so much that is good, and yet there's so much that's wrong. That there is so much to bring us joy, and yet there is so much sadness. There's so much for us to have and, and to enjoy, and, and yet there's so much emptiness. And the question we're left with is, why? Why, why is this world so mixed up? You know, why is it that we, that we have wars like that? Why is it that we, that we have good organisations like, like Oxfam doing great work, helping people in need... But at the same time, the exact same time, using people in prostitution. Why are there so many happy moments in life for us to, to treasure and smile at, and yet also moments that, that just leave us scarred and weeping? Why is it that we have so much stuff and so much choice, and we can have so much peace and health and friends, and yet we're never really happy? We're always wanting more. Why? Why is the world so mixed up? Well, the answer that we see in the second half of Genesis 3 is simply this. It's, it's God's judgment. It's God's judgment. Now, that is what we see in the passage. That the world is mixed up because God judges the world. Now, he does that rightly because of what we, we saw last week. We, we sinned against God. Every single one of us, ultimately, we, we are the problem. We've gone against God. And you, you see that this, this, this passage this week, verse 14, starts with, so. So, we see God doing here what is just and right. So, he doesn't sweep our sin under the carpet. He doesn't pretend it kind of hasn't happened. He doesn't say, well, this doesn't matter. I'll just forget about it. No, we see him rightly taking action, punishing our sin, and judging this world. And I guess what's interesting about that is we often think of God's judgment as something that happens in the future, don't we? So, when Jesus returns at that time, how he will rightly and justly pour out his wrath 
on guilty people for eternity. Every single person deserves that. And that will happen. Yeah, there is judgment to come. But what we see today is that God's wrath is a present reality. So because of his judgment here in Genesis 3, we now live in a world day by day that is under the judgment of God. And as we see this, it explains to us why the world is as it is. But more than that, it reminds us that things are not as they ought to be. This is not how things were made to be. We, we sung this morning, didn't we? It was good just as it should in the beginning. And that ought to have an p- effect on us. That ought to mean that actually, ultimately, we stop running from God, as we saw we did last week. We stop running from him, we start running to him as the only one who can put things right. Now, what we see this morning is, is two acts of judgment. Uh, and the first one that we see is that God curses creation. God curses creation. God curses the creation. This is the first thing we see. So, following on from God confronting Adam and Eve uh, in the previous section. So, you, you remember Adam and Eve, they've taken the fruit, which God said, you know, don't, don't take this fruit. They've gone against his word. They've said, we're in charge, not God. So, they've taken his throne and what we saw was, was God confronted them about this. And what happened was none of them took responsibility. So full of fear, they, they created this kind of alternative reality in which they became the victims. And they just kind of blamed each other. They even blamed God. But what we see here is that doesn't quite work. See, God knows the truth. He knows that the snake deceived Adam and Eve, kind of tempted them into this. He knows that Adam and Eve then took the fruit. They could have said no, they should have said no, but it just promised so much, and so they gave in. And God knows this, and so what does he do? Well, he punishes them. All of them are guilty in their own way, and we see God punishing them in turn. So he curses his whole creation as a result. He starts with the snake. See there in verse 14? So the Lord God said to the snake, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So what do we see? Well, the snake is demoted and humiliated. And one day he'll be defeated. But in the meantime, what we see is that the curse involves a war. You see, there is enmity. That means there is opposition. There is conflict between the offspring of the snake and every living person after Eve. Now, we we might think that simply means that the, the snakes will attack people. I guess that's true, we, we, we see that happen sometimes, but we know, don't we, from last week, that, and, and what is said elsewhere in the Bible, this is a unique snake. This character is Satan. And it's not that Satan has literal offspring. What this curse means is there is an ongoing spiritual battle between Satan and every living person. So what Satan does is he holds these people captive, blinding them from God's truth twisting God's word 
so that they take God's throne. So no one really lives as they ought to. Satan is at war against people. But ultimately he will lose. His head will be crushed. Now we'll think more about that later on. But what, what we see next is God moves on to the woman. And he punishes her in verse 16. You see there, have a look down there at verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So you remember Eve was given as a perfect helper, put together with the man. And what was their purpose? It was to fill the earth, to multiply. Now Eve is still able to do that, but it's painful. And what's interesting is the language used here of childbearing means that it's not just the act of giving birth that's painful, it's the whole work of raising children. Yeah, the, the, the curse here is that the relationships with kids will be difficult. And so too the relationships in marriage. So we read here, don't we, that the woman's desire will be for a husband. That's not a sexual desire, as you could read it. It's a desire to dominate, to be in charge. Now what will happen? Well, the man will fight back. Not in the way that he's supposed to, loving and caring and taking responsibility, but ruling badly. That's what you see with men, isn't it? When they're not busy doing nothing, what are we doing? We're ruling badly. Rather than being in perfect relationship, actually what's going to happen is man and wife, husband and wife, will fight for, for position as they carry out their task of filling the earth. It's full of pain. Now, the same will go for work. And we see this as God turns his attention to the man. Have a look at verse 17. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruits from the tree about which I commanded, you must not uh, eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So here God curses the ground, meaning that, that Adam's job to, to work the ground becomes hard physical work. So it's not like before, that now he has to kind of wade through the thorns and the thistles. They weren't there before. But he has, to, he has to get through them to get the, the, the food from the plants. So he still has a job to do, but it's painful and it's frustrating. And eventually the curse is that he will return to dust. We physically die. Death has entered the world at this point, just as God said it would. God uh, faithfully is cursing creation. Now, all of that means, I'm sure you can see, that the daily life that we experience now is hard. Yeah, it, it's easy, I guess, for us to feel sorry for ourselves, perhaps, but, but the striking thing here is, actually, look, this ought to be far worse. You know, this should be, really, shouldn't it, where the Bible story ends. 
It would be right for God to consume the earth in his anger at this point for our sin. But he doesn't do that. So yes, there is punishment, and that's right, but, but even in that, he, what he does is he graciously allows things to, to go on. You know, that, that is why things are so mixed up. Not just in the cases of, of war, but, or, or a charity abusing their position, but simply what we experience it every day, because there's blessing, there's so much blessing there. He allows things to go on, but there's also a curse. And that's why it's so mixed up. And we know this, don't we? We have life. You know, we got up this morning, we live, we, we breathe, we can see and talk and, 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 and function. You know, praise God that we have life this morning. We don't deserve that, but we have it. But the curse is that it's a struggle to live as we ought to. Satan is active. So what do we do? Well, we make wrong choices. We, 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 trust, we fail to trust God's word. We, we try to be more than we are. You know, we, we, we have the joy of marriage and family. Okay, we, we might not be married this morning here, but, but look, you, you have the joy of a, of, of a church family here. What amazing privileges. You know, for, for those of us who are married, to be committed into an intimate relationship with someone for life, that, that, that's, that's such a blessing to us. You know, to watch a child come into the world and then grow and develop and learn. Praise God that he's given those good things to us. And yet, because of the curse we see here, we know, don't we, that those relationships, they're full of conflict. Not all the time, but, but when you're close enough, that, that they're difficult. Aside from family, we have work to do. We have jobs to go to. We have purpose each day, money that can be earned. What a gift we've been given. But because of the, gir- because of the curse, that gift is so often frustrating. It's so often a drudge. I guess that's why we, we look forward to retirement, don't we? Because we know that work will end. You know, there's a constant kind of futility to this life. And then what happens? We die. We return to dust. It is a horrible, horrible interruption in our world that we know shouldn't be there. There's something profoundly wrong about it. We lose loved ones and we even face death ourselves. All of us do. And so you see, as we see God cursing his creation, it means that what you, what you, the picture you've got here is, is, so you assume cursing creation but not withdrawing the blessing. The picture you have is, is one like a, a ruined picture, isn't it? You know, we've used this illustration before, but it, but it makes the point. If you've got this beautiful painting, uh, which you, you, know, you simply can't take your eyes off. The, 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 every part of it is perfect. The colours, the details, it's all absolutely stunning. And it's, it's like somebody's just come along and they've just scribbled all over it. And this picture is, is ruined. Now, it's not destroyed... So you can still look at it, you can still see the beauty in it, but you cannot get away from the fact that it's not as it once was, it's not as it was meant to be. Now, I don't know what your reaction would be to something like that. You know, say you, you saw that kind of thing in an art gallery, gallery or, or, or in your own home. I, I guess our tendency would be, well, I want to somehow fix that. I want to somehow put that right. But the truth is we can't do that. 
You, you, you wouldn't be able to repair a painting like that. And we certainly, we cannot fix the world we live in. We can't. Yes, some people try. Some people think that somehow we can reverse the curse through their own good works. But we can't. We just can't do that. The world does not change. God has cursed his creation. And I think one of the things he's doing here in his judgment is putting us in our place. He curses things in such a way that we are constantly reminded that we are not God. That we cannot fix this world. And this life will always be mixed up. Now the other reaction perhaps is, is that we, we see the ruined picture and then we stop, we, we, we think, I, I, can't, I can't bear to look at this, I, I want to look at something else. Like, this is so ruined that actually I'm just going to take my eyes away from it. So, you know, I'll bury myself in, in, in something else somewhere. Now, we try and do that in this world, don't we? So rather than facing the hardships of this life, we deny them. We, we try to bury them. And so we, 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 we try to kind of escape from them, just take out, you know, some kind of distraction is what we need. Or, or, or you know, if, 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 I, if I can just pretend in my mind that everything is okay, then, then it will be. Or we just kind of you know, go to, I don't know, whatever makes us comfortable, whatever we watch on the internet or the TV, or we just daydream. You know, we try to pretend that actually everything is fine. Now, of course, we can do that, but, but the truth is that that only makes reality then harder to face up to, doesn't it? And it's something we need to face up to because, look, it's all around us. In every living moment, in ourselves, in our family, in our work, the mix between the good and the bad is in front of us every single day. You can't escape it, and we can't fix it. So the natural question then is, well, what are we supposed to do? Well, I think it's this. Very simply, we are supposed to know that something is wrong. That's it. I think that's what's going on here. God's curse is God's way of very clearly shouting to us, something has gone horribly wrong. And I'm really not happy about it. Yeah, the world we live in is a constant reminder that on one hand, God is very, very good. And that he's also very angry. Isn't that a, a great conversation starter with the non-Christian friend that you're, you're praying for? They can see that this world is mixed up, just like we can. And a good question for them, perhaps, is, is well, look, why do you think that is? Yeah, have you considered that the way things are is, is not just an accident, it's not just kind of bad luck that things might go this way or that way, no, this world tells us that we're loved, that we're cared for, and yet we're in trouble. We're the God who's angry. And one day we will meet him. Now, I don't think we realise this. We don't, we don't actually stop to think about this, about what we've done and how God has responded. And partly that's because God is just not real to us. 
And that's because we're no longer with him. And this, this is the second thing we see. This is the next act of judgment that we see, is that, that, that God is sending us away from himself. Second thing we see this morning, God expels us from Eden. God expels us from Eden. This is the second act of judgment that we see. So up until now, Adam and Eve have been with God in the garden. Their space is his space. But, but at this point, things change quite dramatically. So life is going to go on. That's God's intention. You see there, verse 20? Just have a look down there. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. So there will be an earth, a whole earth, populated with people. And more than that, the Lord God even provides for them. Have a look at uh, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, on one hand, look, this, is, this is covering up their shame. Do you remember when they, when they took the fruit and they were exposed and suddenly they tried to cover up themselves, they were full of shame? And what does God do? Well, he provides clothing for them. But, but that's not just a kind gesture. It's a way of saying, look, life is not as it once was. And I want you to know that. You've not been who you ought to be. And I want to remind you constantly. And we see that most clearly as God then denies Adam and Eve eternal life itself. Look at verse 22. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So presumably, we could have eaten from this tree. The, the only tree that we were not allowed to eat from was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But precisely because we did that, precisely because we wanted to take God's place and make our own rules, we cannot now live forever. The tree of life was there for us, you know, and now it, 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 it's not. It, it, it's, we, we cannot eat from it. We cannot live forever. That's what we were supposed to do, presumably. It is the best possible life. It's the life we were supposed to have. But we've now been punished with our lives. And so you see the action that God has to take in verse 23. Do you see there? So the Lord God, what does he do? He banishes them. He banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So God drives Adam out. He literally expels him from the Garden so that we have no access to that tree of life. Now God had to do this, this is exactly what he promised to do. If we, took that, if we took the fruit, we'd be denied life forever. And God ensures that there's no way back, verse 24. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, we don't see that physically, do we? We, we don't see this tree that kind of guarded with this angel and a, and a flaming sword. But the point here is, look, we cannot regain access that we once had. There, there is no way back. Now, I guess you, you can think of it, can't you, as somebody being um, uh, kind of, I don't know, fired from, from a workplace and, and, and told to leave. You know, um, um, so, I don't know if you've ever seen, Susan and I watched this, this 
programs sometimes called suits, and that's exactly what happened. What you had was, was one particular lawyer who is a great place to work. It's seen as the best law firm in the whole of the states to kind of work in. And one particular lawyer is, 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 is making his own rules. He's causing chaos. He's saying, no, I don't want to submit to the authorities, the partners in charge. I'll just do what I want to do. And so what they do is they get rid of him. And they fire him from his job. And they say, look, you're not welcome here again. We don't want you back on this premises. Because you're just, you're just not doing what we're asking you to do. What they do is they expel him. They rightly send him out. And say, look, you can't stay here. You can't come back. And of course, what happens Well, there's a security guard on the door that doesn't allow this particular person back in. That's the kind of picture we have here. We're, we're expelled. We're driven out. But the, the reality for us is so much worse. For a start, it means that we cannot live forever. So physical death comes to us all now. But more than this, God doesn't just drive us out from a garden and away from a tree. Do you see? He drives us away from himself. So his space is no longer ours. Now look, God of being God, of course, he's everywhere, but we, we, we do not any longer walk with him in the garden as Adam and Eve did. He expels us from being with him and knowing him. Now, that had to happen. God is too good to tolerate our bad. Okay, he's perfect and holy. He, he cannot be with us as we continue to sin against him. And therefore, to be away from him means not only that physical death comes our way, but we are born spiritually dead. We're born away from God, out of a right relationship with him. And that's what's really ruined here. Yet, in rebelling against God, we've separated ourselves from God. Which explains, of course, why this world always feels like there's something missing. Because we're no longer walking with God. So, of course, life goes on. You know, people do live, and they live good lives, and they enjoy such good th things. I, I, in this world, you know, we have so much abundance of stuff that, that, that gives us such joy, and yet we're always looking for something more. Always. And so what do we do? Well, basically, we try to recreate Eden. A number of ways we, we, we try to do that. I mean, you hear of people, don't you, who, who kind of um, uh, move to a place and think, okay, this is the perfect place. It's got to be the perfect place. And then suddenly something interrupts that and says, how could this happen? How could this atrocity happen in a place with palm trees and picket fences? Surely this, is, this, was, this was perfection, wasn't it? Yeah, I've, I've even heard that said about Camborne itself. Do you, I don't know if you remember when there was a, uh, uh, an incident outside the pub and, and um, some guy sadly died. And lots of people were kind of saying, what's happening to uh, you know, our, 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 our perfect Camborne? We somehow think that if we just move to the right place, then we, 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 can, we can recreate perfection. Or perhaps we find that in the perfect job or the perfect relationship. Or worse than that, all we do is we, we recreate our lives on social media. 
guess that's what we do on Facebook, don't we? We, we try to pretend that everything is okay with our lives and, 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 and therefore we've kind of somehow gone back to Eden, regained access to perfection. But as spiritually dead people, we do this all the time. We want to gratify our, our, our sinful desires, but we're never really satisfied. We realise that we just cannot do that in this world. It cannot happen because we're not right with God. So though we live, we, we really don't have life. Now, even as we realise this, I, I, I guess we then kid ourselves that perhaps we can live good, good enough lives to somehow be okay with God when we do meet him. But look, there is no way back into the presence of God. If, if we think we can get there by our own good works, that's just simply another way in which we become God, that we decide that we make the rules. But that's just not the case. God has expelled us. He's driven us out. There's no way back. And the fact that there is no way back, the fact that God seems distant, well, it's supposed to make us realise not just the world is not quite right, but actually our relationship with God is not right. God is not just generally angry. He's angry with you and me. We cannot get to him. Even if we tried to seek him, there is no way back to him on our own. And so what, what we have here, you know, Genesis 3 ends really, really quite abruptly, doesn't it? There, there seems like there's no hope here. You know, there's this flaming sword and that's it. But here's the thing, we know, don't we, that that's not the end. There's a whole Bible story beyond this. And even in this passage, we see that God is gracious in his judgment. This is the final thing we see this morning, the last thing we see, that God is gracious in judgment. God is gracious in judgment. So even though this is a passage full of judgment, it's a passage about God's judgment, it is full of grace. For a start, we've seen clearly, haven't we, that God does not just, in, just destroy this entire creation. He allows life to go on. The blessings that were given to us in creation, they're not taken away from us. Okay, they remain. He, he gives us marriage and, 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 and lives and, and work. Even though they're ruined, we, we still keep those things. This is an act of God's grace to us. More than that, God provides for his people. He prepares them to leave the garden by clothing them in verse 21. Now, that is a sign that even though our relationship has gone wrong, God still cares for and provides for people. Now, it, it may even, I'm not sure about this point, but it may even involve an animal sacrifice that points to a greater sacrifice, despite their sin against him. Most clearly, though, we see God's grace to us in verse 15. So you remember he curses the snake, <clears throat> and he says there, just turn back to verse 15, what does he say to the snake? <clears throat> he says in verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. But look, he will crush your head and you will strike his, will, uh, his heel. So yes, there will be a war. <clears throat> Excuse me. But the snake will be defeated. So Satan will be defeated. At some point, he will be dealt a killer blow to the head by one of the offspring of Eve. Now, that won't be without cost. 
that that offspring will, will be struck on the hill, but ultimately, Satan will be crushed. Now, what we have here is the first promise of the gospel. In just the third chapter of the Bible, isn't that astonishing? It's the gospel in seed form. So we can't see this in kind of all its beauty. It hasn't kind of flowered yet, but it is good news. Right here in Genesis 3, we find the promise that the people who are trapped under Satan, you know, he has become their God, he will be defeated, he will be crushed. And that is such good news that you could argue that from this point, throughout the whole Bible, people are looking for the one who will crush the serpent. So perhaps it's Cain, maybe it's Abraham, maybe Noah. Moses certainly looks promising, doesn't he? He delivers God's people from slavery in one sense. Joshua also comes close as he crushes the head of the armies fighting against Israel. And then, of course, there's King David. He has loads of great victories. But you see, none of them actually crush the spiritual enemy of Satan. The promised hope in this verse is eventually found, as we know, in Jesus Christ. And we see him, don't we? He met with Satan, like Adam, but he didn't give in to his temptation. You know, Jesus defeated Satan with his life. And then he defeated him in his death. So as Jesus dies on the cross, as he takes our sin, the New Testament tells us that he disarms Satan. So he left Satan with nothing that God could hold against us, hold against those who trust in Christ. So sure, look, Satan still exists. You know, and he, he, he's still at work. And he doesn't necessarily make life difficult. Even when life is going well, Satan is active, but he still twists God's word. He, he'll, he'll do his best to tempt me into being God or trying to be God. You know, and even when I do that, even when it seems like Satan has got the better of me, what happens is I look at Jesus and I see that actually he has nothing on me. So my sin is dealt with. The punishment has been paid. So Satan being crushed by Jesus means that he is just like the snake. He kind of wraps himself around people and he, he, even, he even kind of bites them now and again. But what Christ has done is taken all the poison out of him. So even when he bites, he has no bite. He can't do any harm. We cannot be condemned. And what that means for us is that in, as Christians in a mixed up world, we can look around and we can see that something's wrong. We can see that our relationship with God has gone wrong, but now we can seek God in Jesus. We can stop running from God and seek Christ. Not because we can get to him on his own, but precisely because God came to us in the person of Jesus. He came to us, he wanted us back, and then he made a way back. Now look, if you're not a Christian here today, that means you must seek Christ, you must trust him. Because without him, your sin has not been paid for, and even though you lived in this mixed up world, judgment will fall on you. God's wrath eventually will punish you. But for those of us who are trusted in Christ, that the promise here in verse 15 really means that everything that we've seen in this passage starts to be undone incredibly. So, look, for a start, it means that we have relationship with God. We're restored in a right relationship with God. We can know God again. 
And one day we will see him. You know, even though we've been expelled from Eden, we will be welcomed back. Like, not just let, kind of reluctantly let in, but welcomed back into Eden. Not in the sense that we will kind of end up in a garden. We're not going backwards, but in a new creation. And there, there will be no curse. There will be no suffering. There will be no crying or mourning or pain. There will be no mixed up world. There will just be a perfect world where we have access to the tree of life. And we will live with God forever. And the great news is that if we trust in Christ, that new creation actually starts today. So, so this, this gathered church is a picture of that new creation. That is how wonderful the church of Christ is. That you know, we're, a, we're a dim, faint reality of the new creation to come. God's gathered people who together are now able to sit under God's word and live for him again. And already then, right now, the, curse, the curses begin to lift. So, so yes, marriage is hard and family life can be tense, but actually, under Jesus, it can work. Now, next week, we'll think more about that, more about how, instead of fighting one another in marriage, we serve one another. Yes, work can be a drudge. Of course, it can be frustrating, but it regains its purpose and meaning when we realise that actually... Jesus is our boss, and we work for him. We seek to please him. Yeah, as we go through life, we, whether we have huge amounts to enjoy or, or whether we have not much at all, actually, we can be content and, 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 and full of joy because actually we know Jesus is all we need. And a relationship with God is the best thing that we can have. And here's the great thing. Even when we fail, you know, even where sin remains, so even where I fail in my marriage or my parenting or my work, I don't face God's final judgment. And so I'm set free, not just from that, that death, but from the fear of it. There is no longer any need to hide. So even when we sin, we, we don't need to blame others for it. I, I, I'm free from, from doing that. We touched upon this last week, don't we? I can just simply say, look, that was my sin, I'm sorry. I know it's taken. Or I can simply go to another Christian and say, look, I'm really struggling with this issue. You know, please could you help me? And at that point, I slowly we're just remade, restored into the image of God as we are supposed to be. And so you see, even in a mixed up world, even where we remain under the judgment of God, what do we find? Well, we find the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we look around at this world and we know that something has gone wrong. And we know that that's because of us. And we know that you have judged the world. And so we know that life is hard. And we know that we're, we're not uh, with you. And yet, Father, we praise you so much that you sent your son. Not only so that we could go back to you, but so that we could truly live life again under him. We praise you for this. 
And we pray that we would know this more and more. And that more and more, as we experience the brokenness of this life, that we would seek Jesus Christ. Amen. Great. So uh, we just have a, a discussion time, a couple of minutes or so. Um, now look, there's, there's a couple of questions, there's a few questions on the back of your handouts. Uh, if you want to refer to those. Um, if not, please feel free to, to talk about anything that, um, that you thought um, uh, was quite striking in the passage or that you'd never thought about before. And if you'd rather not talk at all, if this makes you slightly uncomfortable, please don't worry, you don't have to do that. You could go grab a drink or, uh, or, or just uh, gaze out the window for some time. That's absolutely fine. Um, but let's have a couple of minutes and then we'll open, and open it up for uh, a wider discussion. Um, okay, sorry, really sorry to interrupt. Um, do continue to have those discussions uh, over tea and coffee. But um, is there anything that anybody would like to ask or say or contribute, perhaps that would be helpful for everybody? Go for it. Uh, is that Pauline? Yeah. Hi. Um, I asked a question to my table and Eunice gave a really good answer and I just wanted to share that with everyone. Um, I guess my question was, um, at the end you were talking about if we trust in Christ then we're a new creation. And my question was, in the beginning, in your introduction, you said um, God's judgment is happening on the world because of the curse or I guess I was confused is it happening because of the initial curse that you read in Genesis 3 or because of our sins so yeah if we believe in Christ then why are we mm. going through trials but then yeah. units were saying that because we rebelled from God and the curse I don't know is yeah happening in the world yeah um, being Christians it just mm. bad things are going to happen but yeah. it gives us the strength to go through it and I thought it just really it made sense yeah. So. Put it all together. Yeah, yeah. No, Paul, it's a really good question. I, and I, I would say so. Both, both those things are true. So, that life is hard because, um, precisely because we live in a in a world under God's judgment. And it is right that that is because of our sin. And last week we saw. I, I, sorry, I know you went here last week. Last week, one of the things we saw was that actually we were all there. So we're in Adam. We we we're, we 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 can't just kind of say, oh, this is Adam and Eve that did this. Actually, all of us are responsible. Um, and so it's right that we live in this world as we do. So both those things are true. It's because of our sin and it's because of God's judgment. Now, uh, I guess what, what, what your question kind of touches upon, you know, bad things are going to happen. Um, this doesn't explain why bad things would happen to me specifically or, or to you specifically. Okay, so... Um, in one sense, when, when we suffer, we could say, oh, well, we live in a fallen world, and this is just what happens. But that doesn't answer the question, why do I get cancer and you don't? Or uh, why, I don't know, um, you know, why do I have a, a, a relative that dies and, and, and you don't suffer that loss at a particular time or whatever? And... I don't think the Bible necessarily answers that question comprehensively. There, there, are, some, there are some things we... So partly the answer is, yeah, we live in a fallen world, so death exists and that's painful and it's, it's hard. 
it doesn't quite explain why me at this particular time. But you're right. What, a Christian, what being a Christian does is it, because it brings us back to God and we know that God is, is sovereign over all things, is always working for our good, we might, might not know why you know, this has happened specifically, but we do know that somehow he is making me more like Jesus through it. Now, you know, I, there's, no, there's no kind of mechanism to that. I don't quite know how that works, but I know that it, that does work, you know, that, that, that God does use suffering to, to make us more like his son. Um, yeah. Um, I, sorry, am I, am I answering your question at all? Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, go on, Paul. Um, so one thought that goes together with that, which I find helpful, is, because uh, if I understand correctly, the, the question behind that, or at least the, the sentiment around that, that idea is that why is it that even if I trust in Christ, I would still go through this? Why is it that Christians would still yeah. be exposed yeah. to the evil of the world, given that they have trusted in Christ? Yeah. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'd be happy to hear other people's thoughts, God wants us to come to him freely. He wants us to freely make a choice, independent of our circumstances. Now, you could suppose, imagine a world in which Christians didn't get sick, or Christians didn't get cancer, or Christians didn't suffer, they, didn't, they were not jobless. Mm. Then what kind of people would be Christian? And anyone would choose to be Christian because of the material benefit. It wouldn't really be a free choice. It would be a material choice, a choice mm. which is governed by an anticipation of a reward, an in immediate reward. And, yeah. and, and therefore, I think it just shows us how fair God is and also how effective God's solution has been. Mm. That he doesn't then discriminate against those who don't believe in him, but, he doesn't, but at the same time, by him giving us Christ, he says that in the long run, these things wouldn't matter if you trust in Christ. Mm. So Christ gives us a perspective that we will have eternal life and we have something to look forward to. Mm. And that's, that's the difference it would make to the Christian in this life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Paul, just add, I, some, something you kind of touched upon there, I can't remember exactly what you said, but it's worth saying that um, as Christians, we, we're saved by grace, you know? So it's not that we've done anything to deserve a better life at all. It's just that God has graciously saved us in this life. Um, so we can never think, I'm a Christian, how could this happen to me? You know, um, actually the fact that we're saved is, is, is by, by pure grace. Yeah. Um, mm. Okay, anything else at all? Go on, Jimmy. Thank you. If, if we know that we live in a broken world and this side of heaven, there's nothing we can do to fix it, yeah. how should we pray? Should we pray that God, you know, take this cancer away from me, take my pain away from me, let me not suffer, let me yeah. not have all these problems? Mm. Or should we pray that, you know, God's will be done in our lives, yeah. even if that includes suffering? Yeah, thanks, Jimmy. I, I mean, I, 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 think, I think you pray both those things. So, um, 
say, for example, uh, so some, so you've got a friend who's got uh, cancer. Um, it's not wrong for you to pray that God would heal that person. And we know that God can do that. God is big enough and powerful enough to take that cancer away. It's not wrong to pray that. But it's interesting, isn't it? As you, as you look through the New Testament, Paul's prayers are, 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 Paul's prayers specifically are, are never shaped by a change of circumstances. What he's always praying for the church is that they would increase in their faith and their love for Jesus. And so I think that's what we must pray. And wonderfully, God uses those circumstances so that that comes about. You know God's going to answer that prayer. So I think in, in really difficult times, in difficult circumstances, that's when we actually really grow. Because that's when we, we, we know the gospel more. We, we preach the gospel to ourselves more. And so I, I would say, look, pray both those things. Um, trusting that God will answer the second prayer. You know that. He might take the suffering away, but we, we can't be guaranteed that until the new creation. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. And yeah. if, if I pray that God heals me and I don't get healed, yeah. would I then take that as a sign that he didn't answer my prayer? Uh, not that he didn't answer, but that, that, just wasn't, that just wasn't his will at that time. That he had a greater plan in mind, I guess. Does that make sense? I, I, I think the other thing, Jimmy, is that the, pray, we pray this in the, not only in the big things, but the small things. So take, for example, um, I don't know, um, you, you know, we'll see this more clearly next week. So take, for example, marriage. Marriage is difficult, uh, you know, um, and, and, and hard. I don't think um, we should be praying. Like I should not be praying, um, really, that... Um, somehow, you, you know, of course I can pray this, but, you know, that somehow God will make our circumstances easier, that so that our marriage becomes easier, you know, it just becomes easier for us to get on. And what, what I should be praying is, look, I need to be made more like Jesus in this circumstance. At, at this point, I, I need God's Spirit to be, um, you know, making me trust His Word, live out His Word. And what I'll find is actually, even though the circumstances are still there, our, our marriage does become better. D does that make sense? Or it does begin to work. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I think we, you know, we need we need to we need to trust God always in our circumstances, both in the big and and the, and the small things of life. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Go on, Eunice. Um, my question is, often we see, sometimes you try to talk to somebody who's moved away from God. Yeah. And their question is, oh, I trusted in God, I put all my trust in him. Yeah. And he still allowed um, my daughter to die, my, my, I mean, so many calamities coming my way. Mm. So I've just decided this God is not working for me. Mm. So yeah. for if you come across such people, it becomes a bit difficult. So my question is, how do you really um, try to expel this thought and belief? Yeah. Anyone got any thoughts on that? Go for it, Megan. I always think you just take them back to Jesus who was who suffered greatly and 
he didn't deserve any of it mm. and yet he had it and took it and you just show people back to Jesus he suffered greater than they would ever have known um, and if, it, if he could have then God wouldn't spare even us from it for some of those reasons if that yeah. makes sense yeah that's right yeah. And that's a comfort. He's a God who understands, therefore, what it is to suffer and to know, like, grief. Yeah. I mean, that's always helpful, isn't it? To take somebody back to the person of Jesus Christ is always going to be a really helpful thing to do. And I guess what we see there is, as Megan rightly highlights, is that he, su- he suffered, in the person of Jesus, he suffered more than we... Uh, ever ever will in Christ so we don't face the, the punishment that he took for us precisely because he took it for us I think the other thing that you see with Jesus is it, Megan said this didn't she that he didn't deserve that and what that tells us is that our suffering is never as much as our sin deserves we, we, our sin always deserves more than we actually experience uh, we just don't realise it. We just, we just don't realise how sinful we are. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, and I guess that that might be what, what, what lies behind somebody saying something like that, is that they, they just won't recognise, they, they think that they deserve better, that somehow they're entitled to a better life. And what's behind that is exactly what we saw last week, isn't it? So Adam and Eve, they, they create this alternative reality. and say, how could this possibly, you know, I didn't do this. You know, the, the, it was all their fault. So don't punish me, I'm entitled to more, I'm entitled to a better life. And I guess what you want them to see, if you point them to Jesus, they will see that they only fall short of him. And yet he suffered more. That's that's really helpful. Thanks, Megan. Um, I also think, just just a short point, that we should not stop loving them. That even if they feel that um, their circumstances would have driven them away from God, if our love for them is constant and we, mm. we show them that we, we, we are still, you know, their friends, regardless of whether they are Christians or not, then yeah. I think that would also minister to them. Yeah, yeah. Go on, go, go on, you're on. Let's yeah, make this yeah. last couple. So you're long and then beauty. Yeah, just um, add something to um, her question. Um, sometimes when people are going through uh, extreme difficulty uh, situations, uh, probably we don't know how to help them, and uh, we never know how they feel. And uh, you know, saying that God loves you, or something God will take care of you, probably doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was, uh, I experienced uh, a story, and I was in uh, occasion I was praying with a girl who um, I didn't know before and uh, she was in an extremely painful situation, um, uh, awful situation actually. And uh, I said, uh, can I just pray for you? Because I got nothing to say to her. Uh, just I couldn't imagine how painful that was. Uh, and she was um, raped by her own father. So um, then I said, let's just pray. And then we just said something that in, in Jesus' eye, you're so precious. And we just got nothing to say. Actually, I just wept and wept with her. And, uh, and yeah. then for 
maybe five minutes later, and he stopped uh, crying and he smiled. And I asked her what happened, and uh, she said, uh, "I see uh, the beach and uh, the front, uh, footprint." And I said, "What does that mean to you?" And she said. Then she started to cry again. She said, uh, when I was in that situation, actually, Jesus has been carrying me. Um, so the answer was from God himself to the girl. Because I, mm. I have no words to say to her. I couldn't help her. Yep. But uh, praying will be really helpful. Yeah, and uh, that's a really helpful point, uh, Yulong. Thanks. That actually sometimes the, the best thing we can do is not say anything. So you see that with the book of Job, don't you? Job's friends are trying to desperately provide an answer for him, but they don't really help at all. And they, they talk and talk and talk, but they're not actually helping this guy. Um, and yeah, you're right, just letting somebody know that they're praying for And I think that's, that, that, that drives us back to this point, doesn't it? I think what we're supposed to do with this is just know that something's wrong. You know, on one hand, you can just acknowledge, you can just say, yes, this world is profoundly wrong there's something just not right about this even though we've got so many good things um and acknowledging that and, and as you say pray for them it's great yeah um okay last one then beauty do you, do you want to have you got something to ask or say yes thank you very briefly um yes i was just i just wanted to add on to what megan said um, when she gave jesus as the example brilliant and uh, you've actually mentioned because i also thought of job and I thought um, Job was really faithful, mm. but he lost so much. Mm. When you read through it, he lost so much. He lost everything. He lost way too much. But in the end, I mean, because he also stayed faithful, even through all that loss. And um, in the end, he, even in that life, I mean, in the same life, he, he got back much more than he lost. Mm. And um, just yes. thinking of myself as a human being, that losing what job lost you know, would be so unbearable. But still, he's yeah. remained faithful. And yeah, um, yeah. that's right. I think can be something yeah. that just reading through that can actually encourage someone as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Beauty. That's great. Okay, thanks, mate. Well done. Um, right. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to sing. And um, uh, Paul's helpfully uh, chosen a song here uh, before our final song of one where what we're doing is we're recognising our sins. We're recognising that, that something's gone wrong, not just with the world, but with us. And asking that God would have mercy on us, that we might then live for him again. And we know we can do that through Jesus. So let's stand and sing uh, Two Sins. <laughs>